There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everybody. I'm Bill Roden, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you from the ESPN studio in New York, and I'm on the line with my co-host, Alana Barefield from Xavier University in Louisiana. Hello. Hey. And Zach Bragg from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. What's up? How you doing? Uh, we have a great lineup. Uh, quick disclaimer. We recorded this a few weeks ago, uh, so some of the information about Aretha and Serena is a little dated, but the core of those conversations are as relevant as ever. Uh, don't worry, we have a new podcast coming out that addresses more recent issues. That said, let's get started. First up, we'll talk about the U.S. Open, why we don't see more black male tennis stars, and what issues face tennis programs at various HBCUs. That's as relevant as ever. Then we'll take a look at the start of the NFL's regular season and do a quick check-in about who's watching and what's going on with the player protest against police brutality. Lastly, we're going to touch on the Queen of Souls funeral in Detroit and what she means to millennials. But before we dive into all that, uh, I'd like you guys to make predictions about what you think people are going to be talking about next week. Uh, Alana, start us off. Yes, as we know, um, there was a Jacksonville shooting that took place, and I think the conversation will continue for next week to even get the players' take on what has happened. Um, as we know, Madden is the leader in sports gaming for virtual reality, and just to see their take on it would be interesting. Mm. Um, Zach, what do you think? One of the big predictions I'm thinking about still left on my mind. I know although football, college football starts this weekend, I'm big on college football. There's some possible upsets that can happen this weekend. You know, it's always countdown to making the playoffs. So I'm still on college football. That's my big prediction. Um, okay. let's, let's talk about the U.S. Open. Uh, some of the best tennis players in the world have been in New York for over a week now. Uh, Serena and Venus, Sloan Stevens, Madison Keys, and, and a lot of others. Uh, they're all playing in one of my favorite sporting events, the U.S. Open. Roden fellow Tucker Toole from Morehouse College got to cover the tournament this weekend, uh, but he stopped to talk to us before he went to New York. Uh, welcome to the show, Tucker. Glad to be here. Yeah, hey Tucker, is this um, is this the first? Is this your first time at the Open? And and, and what what are you going? What what are, what are you covering? Um, this would be my first time at the Open. Um, I'm very excited uh, because I've watched the tournament, you know, since I was a young young boy, but. I'm covering, you know, some of the up-and-coming young black stars um, on the on the circuit. Mm -hmm. Who who are some of those stars? I mean, we, everybody knows, you know, obviously about Venus Serena. Now we know about uh, Sloan Stevens and Master Keys. Who, who who else is on the horizon? Well, um, on the men's side, we have Francis TFO, who is currently ranked um, 44. Um, in the ATP men's rankings, um, he's 20 years old. He's from the U.S. and um, 
He has one singles title on his record this year at the Delray Beach Open, um, where he actually beat uh, Juan Martin Del Potro, who won the U.S. Open a few years back. So he's he's one to keep your eye on, you know, a, a young guy who has uh, lots of potential. Mm-hmm. And um, on the uh, also on the men's side, we have Michael Mong. He's 20 years old as well. He's not ranked as high as Francis TFO, but he he's still young with a lot of potential. Um, his father Tony played on the tour um, many years ago, but he's he's also one to look out for. Wow! All right, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Uh, um, have any of you, um, either uh, Alana or Zach, have any of you uh, been to the Open? No, I have not. I haven't been to the Open. I've heard a lot about it, though, so I want to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so, Tucker, you have to tell us what ha- what happens out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get one you. of those. Uh, I'll send you guys some footage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get one of those, uh, those, those tennis balls, those giant tennis balls that they give up. Maybe uh, Tucker could put fit that on a plane and bring one back. Yeah, I, yeah, I need to get I need to get one of those giant tennis balls. Right. What, what, do you, what do you guys I'll, think I'll about? I'll see what uh, I can do for you, Zach. <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate it. What What do you guys think is going to uh, will will be the storyline uh, at at the U.S. Open? Uh, do you, you guys think that Serena is going to dominate uh, the headlines for one for one reason or another? Oh. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on her, what she will wear. As you know, recently she was banned because of her cat suit. So just to see another outfit out there. Um, and, you know, she, most likely she will dominate on the court itself. Um, I, I agree with Alana. Um, I think people are going to be looking at what she's wearing, one, because of the ban, and two, because um, She's now working with Virgil Abloh and, and Off-White, so uh, he, he has a lot of fans, so people I know will be looking to see what she's wearing. Mm-hmm. But from a, a play standpoint, I think some of, in, the, in a few of the events leading up to the U.S. Open, she wasn't playing as strong, but as she's you know gone through her first two matches, she's won a straight set. So, What do you guys think? Do you think Serena's time has passed? Uh, I mean, you know, every year, I mean, when you get to the top, and it's just sort of a human nature thing. You know, people are always waiting for the slide. Um, do you think, uh, Tucker, we'll start with you, but I'd like to hear from each of you. Uh, do you think her time is, has, has passed? Um, no, I, I don't think her time has passed at all. I just think a lot of people thought that her having a child would start to affect her play. But I, I think she'll she'll come out strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alana, I guess one of the things I'm wondering about from you, what impact uh, has has Serena and her sister had on you just as a black woman? What what impact do you think she's had? You know, later in the show, we're going to talk about Aretha Franklin and legacy and all that. What legacy and, and impact has has Serena had on on you? And do you think I don't want you to speak for all black young black women, but what do you think her, her, her impact has been in legacy? To see Venus and Serena have this, you know, this control over athletes in a sense of, you know, they're dominating on across all the fields. You can say Serena is the best athlete among women and men. And, and for a woman to do this is amazing. Um, there was actually a clip that was released on Twitter. I don't know if you guys seen it, but, you know, it was with Venus sitting down and she was getting interviewed and the interviewer was trying to psych her out about her being confident. 
those two people, Serena and Venus, are they give us confidence. They empower us to be better. Yeah, that that, that was a a good point. Let me ask each of you something. And, and Tucker, I'll start with you since you were at the U.S. Open and you're sort of out of a deep background in, in tennis. Clearly, there's a Venus and Serena have have led to a a stream of young black uh, women tennis players at the highest level, but. Uh, black men have really been absent. I know you named a few, um, but really, I, th- I think that uh, the last black male to win a major was Arthur Ashe in 1968. I mean, that's before some of your grandparents were even a lot. I mean, uh, Tucker, why why do you think that is? Why why do you think the black male present uh, has really been missing from tennis? Well, I think, you know, we've seen some um, black male tennis players try, you know, um, with, we've had, we've seen James Blake and um, Donald Young, who's, who's from Chicago. But I think, you know, we've started to look at some of the foreigners who maybe have some African heritage or um, lineage, like um, Gail Monfils, who's French, and uh, Sandra, who's French. When, when they were at the top of their game, you saw a lot of, uh, Americans rooting them on, so I I think you know that that's also been um, part of why we haven't seen necessarily as many U.S. men, uh, you know, be in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Alana, what do you, what, what do you think? You, you spoke with Xavier's tennis coach about the tennis team there and how it's changed over time. What were your biggest takeaways from um, uh, from your conversation with 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 uh, Xavier's tennis coach? So Alan Green, he basically broke it down of saying if there's more black tennis players on the court, it gives, you know, younger black men an inspiration, a motivation for them to play tennis. Um, as you see that there's so many guys want to play football, basketball, but the odds of making those teams are low. Um, you know, he also said that it's never too late to pick up the racket and to go hit some, you know, to play because he, what he's seen through the years is that the older you get, the better of a player you, you become and it's changing. Um, he even said Serena Williams could win three to five more grand slams if she really wanted to. And, you know, HBCUs are not getting a lot of players because they're going to the, the elite schools like LSU, um, you know, all these big, huge name schools. So, uh, you, you were able to get a clip of uh, Coach Green talking about his recruitment strategy and why it's so hard to get black men to come to Xavier to play tennis. Uh, let, let's take a listen. Well, in the beginning, my first few years of coaching, we had a lot of African-Americans on the team. Here at Xavier, we have pretty high standards, not just academically, but also in athletics. And we want to win at the highest level. And the best African-American males in tennis, they want to all go to the big schools. Females, too. They all want to go to the big schools. They want to go to, the, you know, the LSUs and the Michigans and the Ohio States, Florida, those type of schools, Texas. They want to go to the big schools. So it's... You know, a small school like Xavier, you don't get the best African-Americans. You can get some good ones, but you don't get the best ones. And, you know, what we have, our calling card is medical school. You know, we can get you in a medical school here. So we've had a lot of, I would say, lower-tiered African-Americans that came here. Now, they were good players, but they weren't to the level of, like, me getting a bunch of them to win like a national championship. Now, 
And then I had to think about, okay, what we're competing against. We're competing against a bunch of schools that have mostly international players. So I had to kind of change a little bit with my recruiting to add some international players to the mix to try to get us, you know, ranked higher, get us to be better. And, and the team has kind of transformed throughout the years and it's, it's become a lot more diverse than it was at the beginning. You know, I'm still always looking for the top African-Americans that I can find, but it's, it's just really hard competing with the bigger schools. And for your players, where are they coming from? Can you name? Ooh, we're coming from all over. Uh, Romania, Colombia. I even have a new guy on the team from Yemen. You know, I don't think, I don't think I've ever had anyone from the Middle East. Spain, France. So we have a pretty good mix of international players on the team. Uh, Tunisia. Uh, whew, just a lot of places. <laughs> a lot of places. Uh, what did What did you think uh, of of what he said, both of you? What did What did uh, Zach? What did you think of what he said? Because you spoke to the Hampton tennis coach. What did you think about what Coach Green said about uh, the difficulty uh, of uh, trying to get the better black male tennis players uh, into HBCUs. Similar thing for us here at Hampton after talking to the coach. Um, the coach is basically saying, like, yeah, the game is changing, um, and we don't want to downgrade our program just because we can't get the best uh, black athletes or the best uh, typical HBCU athletes. So, yeah, we are going international to get players. Um, we've traveled as far as Serbia to get a female tennis player. Um, England, Australia, we even reached down to the uh, St. Lucia's, St. Vincent's to get our players. And um, basically, it's just like you have to, no matter what, regardless, we're not getting the best athletes because we're losing them to the best schools. We still have to compete. Um, HBCU uh, tennis is still out there competing with some of the best schools. They're playing matches against some of the best schools. So if that means we have to go across the country or across the world to get some players, we got to do what we got to do. But we also lure them in because um HBCU does have great education it's also offering these international players a great way to see America um great way just to explore the world and an opportunity at a better better education through playing a game that they that they love yeah well, well I'm just curious what do you think about that I mean again I'm you know I, I went to uh an HBCU Morgan you know in the, in the 60s late 60s and we actually did have a couple of really really good black female tennis players there, but what do you guys think? You go on HBCU and the, the tennis team is not black. Uh, at Hampton, both coaches are not black. Uh, same thing in some baseball programs. Uh, no black baseball players. You know, I thought the mission of the HBCUs was supposed to develop. What do you guys think about that, which seems to be sort of abandoning that that sort of core principle of, of, of developing uh, black talent? Uh, Alana, what do you think? Um, I understand what everything you're saying, you know, I do think that it is kind of, it's odd to see that, you know, we don't have it the whole tennis team's not black, but at the same time, I feel like if anybody who wants to attend my, my HBCU, they're welcomed, you know, and I think that we need to be more accepting of that everyone is included. I think we still have our values as a HBCU and we still have a certain culture. It's just that everyone and to have those tennis players um, and or other people come to our school and witness it and experience with it is, you know, a journey that we can all be together. Mm -hmm. 
What about you, Zach? Um, honestly, I agree. I have no problem with diversity on campus, um, especially if that means that they're going to help our HBCU um, in any way possible. I'm all about uh, moving forward to. I'm all about pushing forward for the excellence of HBCUs and what HBCUs have to offer. Um, but it, it's it's also different coming from um, Hampton, which has a great tennis program, and um, we just mourned. Well, maybe a few years ago, we just mourned the legendary coach, uh, Dr. Uh, Robert Martin Screen, who uh, during his time before he passed, he was the winningest uh, tennis coach in uh, Division One history. But I believe um, that if we are going to compete out there. Why not be the best? Why not go out there and get the best? So if that means our softball team doesn't have African-Americans or has more diversity, if that means our sailing team, which competes on a great uh, on a great level and is ranked nationally in the top 25 poll, if that means our tennis team has to go abroad to get players just to compete, I'm fine with that because our HBCU is just it, – it's all about sharing the wealth, spreading the wealth, and helping everybody uh, develop. So – I'm fine with it. I mean, not everybody sees it that way, but I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's 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 interesting. We'll be talking about that uh, in different sports as we, uh, you know, as, as as we go on. But listen, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the great Aretha Franklin, her legacy. Uh, stay tuned. Aretha Franklin, uh, a.k.a. the Queen of Soul, was laid to rest last week. Uh, Aretha died of pancreatic cancer last month, and she was only 76 years old. People from all over the world uh, were able to view her body in an open casket, and each day she had on a different outfit. God bless her. Uh, The outlet, Very Smart Brothers, lovingly called the lineup of speakers for Aretha's funeral optimistic, as it was scheduled to last about five hours. The speaker list was star-studded, including sports stars, social justice leaders, and entertainers. Uh, we are we are honored and quite lucky to have Roden fellow Isaiah George from Morgan State, who actually went to Detroit for both days of viewing and the funeral, and he's on the line to talk with us about what he saw. Hey, Isaiah, thanks so much for making time. Uh, no problem. Yeah. So I know that you are able to talk to a lot of people there. Just tell us about the vibe, the atmosphere, just everything. I don't think any other city or any other really celebrity can have something like this happen where, you know, there's four days out of the week that the city is honoring and and showing off one of their own. Right. Um, And with uh, excuse me, with Aretha Franklin, I mean, the vibes have been. Uh, tremendous with the people that have been out there. It's been like a family reunion vibe. The first day I was out there, uh, 
towards the beginning of the day, there wasn't a huge line. There was still a lot of people coming, uh, but around like seven, eight o'clock, I guess most of the people got off work, you know, got to change their clothes or whatever. The, the line wrapped around the building and the, uh, yesterday the line was wrapped around the building from one o'clock all the way till nine o'clock when they stopped the, uh, when they stopped the viewing. And it, it was, it was really just a great time. I mean, the people that were out there, it wasn't like they were sad or it was morning. It was more of the fact just like celebrating her life and celebrating her music, her legacy. I even talked to some of the uh, younger people that was that were there and, and something that they were telling me is that while they weren't able to, you know, really enjoy Aretha Franklin's music the way uh, their parents or their grandparents would have. It was the fact that they knew, you know, what, how her music was able to change, you know, and, and, and help people that came behind her in the legacy that she did. And for the city of Detroit specifically and, you know, the work that she did there, she if she was always present in Detroit. Uh, her presence was always was always known. It's not like she was one of those people that made it and left the city of Detroit from what I uh, got from the people that I talked to. It was like she was always there or she was always available you know if if people saw her uh, at the airport or saw her around Detroit you know she was always able to stop and talk to people and things like that so it was like people were just so so happy to you know see her in a, in a peaceful place mm-hmm. you also ran into Roland Martin uh, who's the host of the program News One Now uh, let, let's hear a clip from that interview well uh, I literally I just flew in I landed um, less than two hours ago uh, and um, uh, I was in, I'm invited to the funeral, so I'll be there on Friday. Uh, but I definitely wanted to pay my respects uh, with the viewing here. Uh, and uh, it was a, so you know it's been a, it's been several months since I saw the Queen. We last talked in March, and so uh, you know to see her lying there, I knew she had I knew she had lost a tremendous amount of weight uh, when she passed. She was down to 85 pounds, and so to actually um, uh, see her there, but uh, peaceful, uh, no longer in pain. Uh, but also, the, I mean, the, the, the outpouring is amazing to see people lined up. I mean, you see people coming up in their strollers and their canes, and you see children. Uh, you see people who are well-dressed, and so uh, it was just uh, an amazing thing. I've got ran into one uh, group of people. They just flew in from uh, Los Angeles, from California. Uh, they wanted to be here as well. And so I think they, that that has people understanding the impact that she had on so many people's lives. Just to see just regular, ordinary folk uh, spend hours uh, standing out here uh, is uh, is amazing. Right, and we've been out here since around 1 and 2 o'clock, and we've seen the line has been wrapped around the building yep. since then. Uh, and that's what that shows you is not only how many people around the world you know, are coming to pay their respect, right. but Detroit specifically. And what do you think really her legacy will be to the city of Detroit for everything well, that she's done? Well, I mean, bottom line is she was a daughter of this city. And so I think when, you, when people think about you know, uh, individuals who are synonymous with a city. I mean, you, you can't say Aretha Franklin and not think of Detroit. Uh, she didn't leave. She always stayed here. Uh, even though she wasn't born here, uh, she, she, I mean, she personified Detroit. And so, I mean, it's great to see people again paying their respects to her. You, you know, uh, Isaiah and I like the rest of the fellows to, to comment on this. Aretha Franklin was reportedly concerned about being forgotten. Uh, let me ask you a question. You're a millennial. Uh, each, of, each of you, how familiar were you with Aretha's music? And, and do you have any favorite songs? Um, I would say I'm, I wasn't too familiar with her music. I, I knew, obviously, you know, our respect. Um, and I come to find out after uh, she passed away, I found out that that actually originally wasn't her song. 
but she made a different version of it that Otis uh, Redding. yeah it was Otis Redding's song and she she made her own version of it and it, you know it it <laughs> the rest is history but uh another song that I would say that that I like really from her is uh, a rose is still a rose and and that it's more of a uh, a song that I guess millennials would like cuz it's a different sound to it but that uh notion of her possibly being forgotten after what I saw the last two days uh, that I I can promise you I don't think that'll ever happen there were people out there from uh millennials uh older people from her generation I mean there were little kids out there that they may not understand you know what they were doing or seeing at the time, but I think they'll remember for a long time. I mean, at one point, uh, especially the first day of the viewing, there was a thousand people an hour. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the second day was way more than that. Um, she was a part of a sorority called Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And the first day there were 700 of her sorority sisters there in attendance. Uh, this is, this is something that does not happen for every celebrity that passes away. And I, I truly this is this is an experience I'm I'm so glad to be a part of and and something that's I don't think will ever be forgotten. Yeah, uh well Zach and, and Alana same thing. What what do you guys think? I mean, does she mean anything to you because obviously you guys are millennial and she's, you know, she was older. Um what what do you think about A her being forgotten and what what her music meant to you? Well, one, she will never be forgotten. Um, I grew up in a household who was heavy in music and, you know, my dad would put on Aretha in the morning and you knew it was going to be a good day. Um, that's just how she had that effect on you. And her music are, they're classics. Um, you know, from the song Respect to Natural Woman, um, she told a story through her music, which I think is essential, especially being a millennial. We don't get to hear that anymore, really. Um, to, so Raritha will never be forgotten. Most of my family members, especially my grandmother and my aunts, they're older. And uh, part of my family is from Detroit. So there was nothing I could do to forget about Aretha. And I'm pretty sure some of my family members have uh, stopped by for the viewing or for the funeral. But, um, of course, uh, as a millennial, I can't say that I listen to her music all the time because that would be a lie. But uh, any millennial who has seen Are We There Yet and heard the classic the classic scene where the daughter and Are We There Yet sings Respect. Um, that's just classic. I know that sticks with millennials everywhere. I know that. And also, um, if anybody has a grandmother, I know my grandmother's up there where uh, Aretha was her time. When you're cleaning the house or you're doing some yard work, she's going to put on Aretha. So I, I had a chance to listen to, listen to Aretha. I know uh, maybe possibly didn't uh, resonate with me while I was younger, but I definitely got my fair share of Aretha. <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh uh, Alana and everybody, Isaiah, Aretha's songs came to be considered anthems for women and social change. Uh, I'm just curious, what artists in your generation do that now? Oh, Beyonce, hands down. Okay. Oh, hands down. Huh? Yeah, I think we're we're all on one accord with saying Beyonce. I, I don't think there's any other artist that has the reach and bigger platform than Beyonce. I mean, she can go to any country and sell out a crowd. She can go anywhere in America and she'll be noticed. Uh, and she's the biggest R&B artist probably in the, in probably since I've been alive. And with all the millennials, I think they'll all agree with that because she's, 
she's just well known everywhere uh, and she's almost well liked everywhere. Anytime you see uh, anything said bad about her, especially on Twitter, the beehive <laughs> will definitely come in full effect. <laughs> so, I mean, I would definitely say that uh, Beyonce would be the one from our generation that if anything like this or a celebration of life would ever happen like this again, it would be for her. I think there are a few artists. Um, of course, nobody, nobody to the level of the Queen Bee. I mean, when when she gets to hang out with the Queen, there you, she's reached another level. But I mean, um, there are a few artists um, um, that are many different. Mary J. Blige, Jasmine Sullivan, uh, Fantasia, who also sang at the funeral. Um, Jennifer Hudson. There, I mean, there's 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 many different people that have preached women empowerment, got some anthems for women. Uh, I'm probably not naming a few, but of course the obvious choice would be Beyonce. But there there's a few that have come and gone, but none that have reached Aretha's level, um, except for Beyonce. I think Beyonce has passed Aretha's level, and I think if this is Aretha's funeral, Beyonce's funeral will probably be this t- times two. Did you, what about uh, Lauren Hill or somebody like that? Uh, oh, Lauren, Lauren. Oh, God. Let me. Let, I can't. I'm from New Jersey. I'm from. I, I grew up in the Maple South Orange area. My brother went to school, same high school as Lauren Hill. Went to high school with Lauren Hill's kids. I played basketball with them. So, yeah, Lauren Hill. Miseducation of Lauren Hill is probably one of the most empowerful, impactful women's albums that there ever is. So, of course, Lauren Hill. I, God forgive me for not saying Lauren Hill, but yeah, of course, Lauren Hill. That's my role to remind you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that because I, if I if I go home or or if, uh, Lawrence uh, Lauren Hill's son Zion hears this, maybe from one of my friends in Maplewood or South Orange or her daughter, it, it'll be a problem. <laughs> do, do you think uh, before we we wrap up this this thing um, that that uh, Beyonce is your generation's uh, Aretha? Because remember with Aretha. We didn't have everything we got now, you know, social media mm-hmm. to reach you on every single platform. Uh, do you think Beyonce is this generation's Aretha, your generation's Aretha? Yes. She uses her platform to be an activist, um, and she speaks about equality, independence. Recently, there was a Vogue issue where she talked about body acceptance and her pregnancy and how she goes deep. And, you know, for social media, she can just post, she usually just posts a picture and she doesn't even have to put a caption and she gets hundreds of thousands of likes. That's how strong she has an effect on people. And she can connect with various of women, um, through her songs, Freedom, Run the World, um, how she, openly talked about how Jay-Z cheated on her. Um, she is our Aretha for our generation. I believe Beyonce's our Aretha. She's our Patti LaBelle. She's our Shaka Khan. She's our everything. If you're talking about, uh, I, I don't want to say old school, but if you want to talk about timeless treasures for millennials, it's definitely Beyonce. Definitely. she she's The way her impact from sports, fashion, music, culture, uh, expanding abroad, she's definitely our Aretha. So yeah, she, she's she's a lot in one. But if anybody's our Aretha, it's definitely her. Uh, before we before we go, we, we're going to talk about the interval. But Isaiah, you you brought up something that I wanted to 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 have you elaborate on, but particularly because you know this is a Roden Fellows, and essentially we you know you guys are your young journalist learning the trade just as a journalist what was it like uh covering uh being in detroit for the past two days i mean how 
was it overwhelming and how did you begin to focus in on because you were covering they're covering for Morgan State right what was as a journalist how did you go from maybe being over seeing how big the moment was and then sort of putting it in sort of a manageable compartment so you could you know relay the feelings and the stories and that kind of thing anytime I do anything for the radio station or anything journalism related I always just try to treat it as work like when I had part-time jobs before I was working for the radio station I always took my work very seriously so um, you know it wasn't a lot of joke time and stuff like that if there's a time for me to get an interview then that means I go get that interview if there's uh, something that I need to report on or there's uh, something that I heard and I need to go check that out then that's what I go do so it's it's not as if um, the moment was too big for me or I, I, I felt overwhelmed or anything like that I um I kind of just took it as the next thing as it's work um and really I find that that gives you the best results and in, in when you're doing interviews you, um with people you know like Roland Martin or when I was here for NABJ and I got an interview with Jamel Hill when you're in front of these type of people you know you don't get starstruck you're focused on you know listening to your subject trying to get the next question trying to uh or making sure you're you're not missing anything. So I would say it, it wasn't very overwhelming for me because I, I took it as the next thing. It's 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 work. Well, what do you guys think about that? Again, I don't want to belabor the point, but this is a journalism exercise. You know, uh, Alana, you're down in New Orleans, and this year you're going to be, in addition mm-hmm. to everything you're going to be doing uh, on campus, you're going to be dealing with the New Orleans Saints and some basketball. And, and uh, Zach, obviously you're going to be covering something. W- what about the, you know, Tucker's going to cover the U.S. Open you know, how do you treat these moments? How do you treat, you know, knowing that there's an event, a big event, and you've got to cover it? What sort of the – is there a, a, a key or a secret, particularly young in your career, to, to capturing the moments and the big moments? Um, I agree 100% with everything Isaiah said. You know, in the heat of the moment, for instance, I got to cover Muhammad Ali's funeral. Of course, you bask in the moment, but at the same time, at the end of the day, you're the journalist, you're the reporter, and you have to go get the facts. You have to go tell the story. Um, so you need to be the first one to go, you know, if somebody's there, celebrity, you have to go ask the questions and you can't be, oh my God, well, he, he's he or she, she, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you kind of put, just put the celebrity to the side because at the end of the day, you know, you have to make deadline and, you know, you have to tell the story, what the readers want to know, because basically they're looking for you for the answers. Um, I agree. It's a moment that's not going to come around very often. It's not, especially for Aretha, not too many people that are going to have um, funerals like Aretha. And uh, especially with Aretha taking over headlines uh, over, you know, John McCain just dying. So it's definitely you have to work, get the work hard, but definitely enjoy it while you're there. Yeah, well, hey, hey, uh, Isaiah, great job. Just, I'm just curious, uh, and and you may, a lot of you may be thinking about this because you were at Muhammad Ali's funeral, as was I. Uh, just curious, what do you think was bigger, Muhammad Ali's funeral or Aretha? I know that. I mean, I get into a lot as either or, but what do you, what do you, you two, two think? Mm. A lot, uh, Aretha's, Aretha's funeral or or Muhammad Ali. I would say Aretha's funeral because I have never seen something like this of this magnitude where a whole city basically stops for four days and basically celebrates one person. I, I've just never seen that. And I, and it's hard for me to try to think of another celebrity, of, um, you know, someone we've already brought up, uh, Beyonce. That, that's probably the only person I could think that 
that may happen with. But I have just never seen something like this where the whole city is basically celebrating Aretha Franklin. When I got into Detroit and I was uh, I was walking through the airport, the first sign I saw was a sign saying uh, celebrating the life of Aretha Franklin. And, and you know, this just I've just never seen anything like this where a whole city does this. Alana, agree, disagree? Um, it's so hard to, you know, to see which one's bigger. I think it's just so nice to see people come and fly thousands of miles to come support and to, you know, say their goodbyes. I think that's what's amazing um, to see the hearse go through the streets and people, you know, touching the hearse and throwing flowers. Um, in Kentucky, they said it was bigger than the Kentucky Derby, and that's huge for them. Um, I no doubt in my mind, um, Aretha, the amount of people that probably showed out for her, um, maybe millions even, um, but I can't, you know, there's so it's a boxer and a singer. Of course, music probably might touch more people in this, you know, but Muhammad Ali, he was an activist also. So, you know, just to see these heroes have such an effect on the world and communities speaks a lot to their, their character itself. I've never seen um, the program for a funeral be such an event as the way Aretha has been. Like, she has everybody turning out for her. But I'm pretty sure Muhammad was crazy, too. But witnessing Whitney Houston's funerals uh, was one of a kind. Um, in Newark, New Jersey, even though she grew up in East Orange, it was kind of an event. I It definitely shut down Essex County, Union County, for about a good week and a half. So I can only imagine what Aretha and Muhammad Ali did. It's something hard you really can't pick. But if I had a choice, uh, I'd probably have to say Muhammad Ali. But Aretha, I've never seen um, a funeral the program for a funeral be such an event as the way Aretha has been. Like she has everybody turning out for her, but I'm pretty sure Muhammad was crazy too. But witnessing Whitney Houston's funerals uh, was one of a kind. Right. And I, and I think that um, I guess as you progress through life and you look at the adulation of an Ali or Aretha, you look at your own life and you figure, okay, what impact you know are you going to have on people? You know, how does your life, resonate. What all this means is it's great to have a, a powerful impact on people, whatever you do. Next up, we're going to check in on the NFL and player protest. Stay tuned. People's going hard in a pain who make it look easy, but it ain't hard as you think. Just staying tall as trees, being never fall on your face. Cause if you do, then they gon' pull your car, cause they can't. But if you want for the ever, then step in where you step up. When you're around and sitting down, you will have a load up on the competition, opposition, confident in composition. Well, it's NFL time again. The NFL's regular season is just around the corner, and the league is still trying to work out helmet rules. Protest rules. Uh, the new helmet policy, which says players will be penalized for purposely lowering their head to impact an opponent with a helmet, looks like it's going to be an adjustment for players and officials and coaches. And then, of course, there's the anthem policy, which has been officially shelved for now. 
perhaps the only one who really knows what to do, what they want to do about the policy is POTUS 45 and his sidekick, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. Outside of that, we're all wondering, scratching our head and figure out who's going to be bold enough to actually protest. So what do you guys think? Will the protest continue in this climate of uncertainty? Should they continue? Alana, down you know you're in an NFL city mm-hmm. with the New Orleans Saints. What what do you think? Do you think these protests are, are going to continue? What what sort of vibe do you get before the season kicks off? I I do think that protests the protests will continue. Um, it's not dead. The movement the movement is just beginning. Um, you know, so many players like Colin Kaepernick, you know, agree with him and agree what he's stands for um it's a shame that you see kaepernick who still doesn't have a job but you know to make these regulations that say well the players can protest in the locker room it defeats what protesting really is so i do think they will take a kneel you know a knee when they go out on the field this season so so do you think zach do you think protests should be public and do you think the players should continue to protest although i want the players to protest i believe that if the NFL is going to make it so hard where they're going to start blackballing players and going to uh, force them to start taking money away from players and uh, taking from people's families. And players are doing this for their families to provide. I honestly believe that for the sake of something bigger than them, with Colin Kaepernick being blackballed, Eric Reed, and, you know, some uh, people not wanting to hire them, not just only for football, but maybe other possible things. If that's their biggest way to provide for their family, I believe that they should just honestly, you know, stay in the locker room, you know, for for the protests. Like the new NFL rule said, don't come out and just make it that way instead of, you know, possibly going out and kneeling or, you know, doing something that caused them to get in jeopardy of, you know, taking away uh, opportunity to, to provide for their family. Now, now, Zach, in an earlier conversation, I think we were talking about earlier in the week, you said that you were going to watch the NFL. Uh, Alana, are you going to watch? And what do you, have you had these conversations with your peers? Are they going to watch or are they split? Um, as a reporter, as a journalist, you know, we have to stay in the loop. And, of course, I'm going to watch the games. And football has always been part of my life. Um, you know, talking to my peers you know, I don't think they see sometimes eye to eye what I see just because we are in completely different fields. You know, some of my friends who are on the science track, they might not look at all the, you know, X's and O's that play factors in what is really going on in the news. Um, from my uh, standpoint, yes, I'm still going to watch. Not only just because, you know, uh, it's part of something I want to do for a career, but I'm an avid fan. Um, I may be a fan of a team that, you know, get looked gets looked down upon for being African American. I'm a Patriots fan, but um, from talking to my peers, you're a what? I'm a Patriots fan. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> wait, forget the protest. Let's let me protest that. <laughs> let me let me pick, let me pick it, Zach Bragg. <laughs> I, I'm a Patriots fan. I believe I believe the Patriots get a bad rap. Oh, there's no there's no African Americans when there truly is. There there's a lot more than actually gets celebrated. Um, I know Tom Brady gets highlighted, but majority of our team and and, and a lot of the stars have been um, African American. We could talk about that because uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to win. I have this conversation all the time, but also from talking to my friends, um, I have different groups of friends. Uh, my friends here at Hampton that I normally are with all the time, they're more basketball fans, so they could care less. But then like. 
you know, just other people, my peers. I know they're still going to watch because, uh, honestly, like, the Super Bowl's the biggest, like, the biggest thing on TV other than March Madness. So it's like, yeah, we're going to watch the games. I have peers that are super fans of teams. So it's like I don't believe that it the protest actually hits people of my age range. I think it's, like, a little bit older once we – um, you know, get into like the 25 through 45, you know, that older area. But honestly, it's, I feel like as college peers, there's really not much you can do on Sundays other than really watch. But yeah, so I'm, I'm still going to play Madden too, by the way, but that's just what I do. <laughs> wow. You're just doubling down Madden too. <laughs> yeah. That's just what I do. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan, so, you know, we got to get redemption. Um, if you want to have that conversation, we can definitely have that. Yeah, well, we'll have that. We'll have that therapy conversation next week about, about Black Patriot Fred. Yeah, we're we're not, we're not really the quote unquote team like the way Duke is getting seen, the Uncle Tom team, the way Duke basketball gets seen as much as people think. Mm, Uncle Tom thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that next week. The all Uncle Tom thing. But do you in your generation? Do you think that the NFL has taken a hit, both both of you, Alana and uh, and you, like uh, Alana? Do you think the NFL has taken a hit in terms of your peers saying, you know, we're going to watch the NBA, we're not going to really watch the NFL, or down there in New Orleans, is the NFL still it? Um, well, you know, the NFL knows that they're in a in a corner. Um, dear, um, you know, Odell Beckham and Eli Manning. Do you remember that dance commercial that they did that they put together um, to show that they were kind of united in a sense with the players, um, just to show you know that the NFL is not an op- operation or a business, but they're a family. So you know they're they're making their market, their target, their commercials differently. Um, Kaepernick, he won his summary judgment case. So, you know, it's, it's going to trial. So basically the NFL, like, again, they're in a corner and it's going to be interesting what this year, what the season will bring. Well, I'm, I'm going to be glued. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, uh, Lana, I think we are professionals and, uh, I'm going to be watching the games uh, and for, for, for a couple of reasons. You know, um, there's so many black players playing in the NFL, it's almost like supporting an enterprise, you, you know. But we're going to see. I know we're going to be talking about this throughout the year. You're going to be at Saints games. Zach, you're going to be at, at at some games. Uh, by the way, Alana, who is your – Zach is a Patriot fan. What about you? Are you a fan of any team? So I'm from Boston, but Patriot – I mean, I like them, but no, the Saints has always been. My dad's from New Orleans. I have to rep the Saints. Who that nation? So that's it. <laughs> How are you from Boston and not a Patriots fan? What? I, because my family, you know, it's just that every every Sunday, my dad would wear his Saints jersey, and especially when those games came on, it was yeah, no. I know you know where I'm coming from being a Patriots fan. I I know you got it all growing up. Well, I do. I do to a degree. Mm, To a degree. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Hey, well, listen, uh, that's, you know, we're going to talk about that during the football season, but that's all the time we've got for today. I'd like to thank uh, Isaiah George from uh, Detroit, Tucker Tool from Atlanta, who's going to U.S. Open. And of course, uh, Zach Bragg and Atlanta Bearfield. Thank you guys. Um, as for you listening, if there's anything you'd like for us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated 
hashtag Rodenfellows. You can also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at WC Roden and headed to Instagram. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Alana, A-L-L-A-N-A-B underscore. I'm at Ray Zach, R-E-Y, capital Z-A-C-H underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Well, thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. Uh, this show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Uh, get all the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as The Plug, The Right Time with Bamani Jones, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another scintillating HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.